of that. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, anyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one commanding against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. I missed you guys last week. <laughs> well, you know what happens when little ones get sick. Um, when I was a kid, we used to watch a TV show. We used to watch a lot of TV shows because we didn't have movies back then in the Netflix and all that stuff. And one that we used to watch a lot was called Let's Make a Deal. Does anybody remember that show? So I thought maybe we could play today. So, let's see here. All right. You know how it works, right? There's three choices. All right, and you get to call somebody from the audience. So let's see, I am going to call from the audience today someone who's recently performed in a show called Matilda Jr. Do we have anybody here that's been in a show called Matilda Jr.? Tommy, come on down. You are our contestant on Let's Make a Deal. So I have this dollar bill for you. It's yours. Congratulations. You're welcome. OK. <laughs> Take it and run. Uh, but I would like to offer you an option. I would like to offer you what's in box number one for that $1 bill. However, I want to tell you before we get started, one of these boxes has something pretty good in it. The other two, eh, not so good. So you guys get to help him out here and help him figure out, does he want to keep that $1 bill or trade it for what's in box number one? What do you think? Keep the money? What do you think? Would it help if I showed you what's in box number three? Okay. What do you think? Should I show them what's in box number three? All right. In box number three, we have... They are. <laughs> but I didn't offer him box number three. I offered him box number one. So, you think this is the best option? 
or you think that this would still? Oh, thank you. What do you think? Should I keep the dollar or trade for box number one, knowing that box number three is not the best box? You'll take box number one? All right. Okay, now you have box number one. All right. Now, I'm going to show you what's in box number three, or two. You sure you want to keep box number one or do you want to trade it for box number two? Yeah, what? You keep box number one or trade it for box number two? What should he do? Keep box one or trade for two? Ron's saying two. One of these has something good and one not so good. Keep it? Are you sure? Trade it? I don't know. I'm not hearing much chatter from the audience here. Box one or box two? Two? All right. Let me show you what was in box number one. More coins, but these are plastic. Box number three. You want to help? Okay, $10 bill. Is that a better than a $1 bill and a bunch of chocolate coins and some plastic ones? All right. Now, at the end of the show, there was always the showcase box. Remember that? So we have box number four. Now, you have a choice. You can trade, you can keep that $10 bill, or you can trade for what's in box number four. <laughs> mm. Oh, it could be. Could be. You're going to take the box? Going to take the box. Okay. Here we go. Let's see what you have. We have a cross and a scripture. Yeah. Okay. Read really loudly. Use that theater voice. Do not be afraid when the cross that your father has been pleased to give you the key down. Luke 12, 33. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 27. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33. For where your treasure is, there your treasure will be. There your heart will be also. Luke 12.34. Okay, so did you make the best choice? Yeah. I think so. Good job. Give them a hand. And you get to keep the dollar. <laughs> the, the gold coin candies will be downstairs for anybody who wishes to uh, share the wealth during coffee hour. But you know what? Life isn't a game show, and God's not a game show host. And he really isn't trying to make a deal with us. The deal's already been made. Jesus made the deal. He sealed the deal with his life. And all we have to do is accept it. We have to be willing to give everything. We have to be willing to give our lives, give our wealth, give everything we have, and take up that cross. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. But the cross is what's going to be the hard thing to do. It's not an easy road that Jesus walked, and he's not asking us to walk an easy road either. Thank you. You're welcome.
But if we take up our cross and we follow him, we will have the kingdom, and we will have more than we could possibly want, more than chocolate coins and plastic coins. Me too. Yeah, you too. All right? So remember, the cost of discipleship is not Me too. It's not cheap. But if we're willing to take the cross and follow Jesus, we'll have more than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have promised us more than we could even imagine if we're just willing to follow you, to take that cross each day, knowing that it's not an easy road, but that you are with us each step of the way. And you have promised to help us do what we need to do to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for another day to meet together and to dig into your word with you. I pray that you will help us to be curious about what you have to say to us and help us to be open. Um, I pray that you will help me to speak clearly and help us to hear and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So I never remember to ask you guys or invite you guys to do this, but I would encourage you to take your Bibles or the Pew Bibles and turn to our passage while I'm talking about it so you can like look at it on occasion when, when we talk about stuff. So it's Luke 14, verses 25 to 33, and if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 739. And while you are turning to it, I will tell you a little story. Um, Barbara, I have a feeling you know more about this than I do, so you can correct me after church. But <laughs> this is my version of this story. Um, in 2002, I moved back to the United States from London, and I started, shortly after I moved back, I started working at Old Sturbridge Village, which is where I met Barb, which is why she invited me to come and guest preach here, which is kind of why I'm here. That's not the story. Um, while I was working at Old Sturbridge Village, I would commute from my house in Charlton down Stafford Street to Sturbridge. And there was, during that time, somebody took a house, an old historic house, from the center of Charlton and moved it to Stafford Street. And it's on Stafford Street, and it was sitting in this field for a really long time with no foundation under it and nobody in it. And what the story I heard was that some people, they, whoever owned that house, sold it for a dollar on the condition that the people that bought it moved it and set it up. So that once you buy it for the dollar, you're responsible for this whole house. And so they moved it, and I, I remember when they moved it because the power went out because they had to take the power lines down and, and everything. And... Um, and then they, and they, so they obviously had the money to move it, and they had the money to, they had the land, and they put it there, and then it seems like for years, it just sat there. And then they put a for sale sign up in front of it, and that was there for a while, and then it wasn't, and it still didn't seem like anything was happening to that house. Now it has a foundation, and there are people there, and there's a whole lot of farming equipment and a barn and stuff. Um, but every time I drove past that place, I thought about today's parable about the tower. Um, and so 
that seemed like an obvious story to lead into this week's sermon with, but, and I think those two things are, it is a visible picture of what Jesus is describing here. However, as I've spent time in this passage this week, I have seen that there are some things about this passage that might not be exactly what they seem. Or at least, not what I thought. So let's talk about the outline of this passage first. This is different from the other parables we've looked at so far. Actually, you might notice they're all kind of different from each other. <laughs> um, but we've talked about how, you know, there's the parable is a story, but there's a frame story around the parable that helps us understand the parable. Why is Jesus telling the story? That helps us understand what it means. So it usually goes frame story, parable, and then there's some, Jesus teaches or explains the parable, whether it's to the whole crowd or just to his disciples or to one teacher of the law. That's, that's the usual outline. But today, it's not like that, is it? Today, it starts out with kind of the frame story and the teaching are first, and they're combined. And then we get two parables. And the two parables maybe seem like they go together, but it's hard to see how they go with the teaching that comes first. Usually, uh, like I said, usually the frame helps us understand the parables. Today, the parables are designed to help us understand the frame, and we really need help understanding this frame because it's a doozy. Um, I told my parents who are here today that I was preaching on this passage about hating your mother and father, and they said, do we need to go somewhere else to church today? And <laughs> um, maybe, no, hopefully not. But we're going to look at we're going to look at that, which is not a parable, and we're, that's the teaching part. And then we're going to look at the two parables. We're going to take a little time in all three of these sections because it's important, and it's important to see how this goes together. Um, I hope I can keep these thoughts organized. I was rewriting this at my desk here, <laughs> so just bear with me. Um, basically, how this goes, just to summarize this, at least what it sounds like, is Jesus says, he's got this crowd of people, he says, hate your family and your life, or you can't be my disciples. You wouldn't start building a building without being sure you had the resources to finish it, would you? And a king with a smaller army is for sure going to send a delegation for peace to a king coming toward him with a larger army, right? Right? Is that what kings do? Okay. What is weird about this? What is not weird about this? <laughs> um, I'm actually curious, though, if anybody has any like initial reactions or questions or like, huh? Throw them at me. Okay. Yes. That's the first thing. God is love. The Bible tells us that, right? And God describes himself as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And so why, if Jesus is God, which we believe in this church, why is he saying, hate your family? That's a good question. What's another one? Okay, that's a really good point. Ron says, as a sales rep, I would never tell you to hate things that you love in order to get my product. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive. Anything else? Yeah. 
Okay. You're, you're, it's asking something that is impossible of a human being. That's, I love when you comment. Actually, I love when all of you comment. You always like give me something else that I, that I can work in. Okay. So we are going to do something with this passage that I encourage you to do with scripture in general, and that is wrestle with it. Um, I think a lot of times we go to church and we want the pastor, me or some other pastor, to say, this is what this means, and I have, there's one of you that comes to me frequently and says, how can you really think of the Bible as reliable, because if you, if you ask 20 people what it means, tw you'll get 20 different answers, and that's a fair point. I think it's possible to um, misinterpret the Bible or misapply the Bible, but I actually think that there isn't usually in any passage, this is what this means, case closed, all done. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible doesn't work like a regular book, and so we're going to, in the Old Testament, there's a story about Jacob wrestling with an angel, or maybe it's God, or kind of mysterious. Um, but God invites us to wrestle with him, and if he gave us this book, this is a good place to do it. Um, so notice, when you read the Bible here, or when you read the Bible at home, it actually is okay if you don't get it. Just notice what you don't get. What doesn't make sense? Why is this weird? What? How come this is uncomfortable? Notice the things that are strange and start to dig into it. So that's what I did with this this week. So the first part that's strange, as you guys are pointing out, is verses 25 to 27, which say, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Again, this happens a lot. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is really hard, and most of the time when we come at this, we need to, we it makes us feel really uncomfortable. Um, family is really important to us, even when our families are difficult. The reason that they're difficult is usually because they're important to us, right? That's why family can be hard, because we actually care about them. And, like Sandy pointed out, God is love. So, huh? so a lot of times we come to this and we kind of say, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. And this could play out in a number of different ways. Jesus didn't really mean hate, or Jesus didn't really mean our family, or Jesus didn't really mean can't be my disciple, or Jesus didn't really mean hate my own life. A lot of times we miss that part. Jesus isn't just say, saying hate your family in this. He's saying hate your life. For some reason, I feel like a lot of us gloss over that because we already hate our lives. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but there have been other cultures and other eras that have insisted that Jesus really did mean that, and sometimes extremes are taken. I met, actually, I met a pastor when I lived in London. He wasn't from London, but his family had relocated there from another country, and he decided that God had told him that he needed to leave his wife and his kids in London and go back to his home country and just dedicate his life to missions. And maybe God told him that. I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't 
I didn't know that man well. Um, but I think sometimes, sometimes people have used this passage, if, they, if their family is difficult, as an excuse to, oh, well, Jesus said I have to hate my family, so I don't have to do the work. It's their problem. I'm going to just leave. Um, I don't think that's what Jesus means either. And there are some other things to think about here. I just had a conversation with someone this week who was a Christian who talked about how he loathes himself. We, I think the church uh, in, historically has not done a great job with how are we supposed to think about ourselves, and that's probably a whole other sermon. But I don't think that's what Jesus really wanted either. Um, in fact, I said in this conversation that Jesus can and actually wants to help us not hate ourselves, help us realize that there's something in us to love that's from him. So that's one thing. Also, what about how the Bible says, honor your father and mother? Was Pam supposed to just leave her mom while her mom was dying? No, clearly not. Am I supposed to say, well, my parents want to come visit, but sorry, guys, I have to hate you, so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't hate you, by the way. <laughs> I love my parents. Um, but, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Lorna says it's impossible, but it's also ridiculous. How is that reflective of what God is like? if we're supposed to be becoming like Christ. Even Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said some shocking things to his family, which probably rubbed them the wrong way, but clearly he loved them. Um, so we need to wrestle with these, and I don't think we're going to tease all of this out, but Jesus doesn't say things he doesn't mean. However, Jesus is the living word of God, and if the Bible is in any sense also the word of God or the word from God, the Bible says God is love, and the Bible says honor your parents. And, if, and so maybe it would be at least best to summarize this and say Jesus didn't mean all these things the way it sounds. But if Jesus and the Bible are both in some way the word of God, and the Bible says that Jesus said this, then maybe we need to expand our understanding of how to read the Bible. This is a little side note. This isn't the point of this message, but I think it is an important thing we can get out of this passage. Um, there is way more to the Bible than one right answer. There's way more to the Bible than a list of rules. Um, and so... Just a quick little plug. My friend Wendy, as I've told you, teaches a class about how to read the Bible and what it is and why we should read it and how we're supposed to read it. Talk to me about it afterwards if you're interested. But if Jesus didn't really mean all the, these things the way it sounds, what did he mean? Well, he doesn't explain it. He just tells two stories, which don't sound like they have anything to do with what he just said. But the answer must be in them, right? Maybe. 
So let's talk about the tower story first. The house that I described in Charlton had, for a really long time, no foundation, and the tower that Jesus is describing has only a foundation. In neither case are these places ideal places to live. You could live there. You could live in a cellar hole, or you could live in a building that's on blocks. But it's not very secure. Uh, the weather's probably going to get in, and nice little rodents and stuff. Um, it's not secure. It's not clean. It's not safe. It's not a great place to build a life. You can't have a strong life there. Now, what I have, well, I want to ask you, what's your understanding of this parable? Let me summarize it. Jesus says, if you're going to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate what your resources are to make sure that you can actually finish it after you start it? Because if you don't do that and you start building it and you can't finish it, everybody's going to laugh at you. Um, what does that mean? What's that? Okay, think first. About what? Ooh, I like it. Okay. We might come back to that or something like it. Okay. Okay, she's switching things. I love that you guys are seeing this. I'm really dumb because I did not see any of this until this week, and I've read these a million times. Okay, so what I've always heard is something like what Sandy said. Before you even start the foundation, sit yourself down, do some quick calculations, think about it. Are you good for what's on, what goes on top of the foundation? Before you build a foundation, are you good for it? Lorna and Barbara are kind of saying slightly different things, but similar things. Um, don't, Barbara says, don't think about it. Just go for it. And Lorna's saying, you know, the motivation that people are going to laugh at you is really not the motivation that Jesus is typically going for. So, um, like, he doesn't care. <laughs> people laugh at him. Um, so, yeah. There's more going on here than meets the eye. Can we agree on that, at least? I think there is more going on here than meets the eye. When I, I think I may have told this story before, um, but I, used to, I have been on a couple of young adults retreats where baptisms have happened, and it's always really cool, but I remember in, I wasn't doing the baptisms, um, when the people would say their baptismal vows, they would, the person baptizing them would ask them the questions like I do when, when we baptize here, and ask something like, are you willing to follow Jesus with your whole life to the best of your ability? And I remember always thinking, that seems really weird. Because <laughs> 
The whole point is we don't have the ability. Right? It's Yes, we may get back to that. I think we're, we're departing from the love-hate language for a second to look at, because this power is, a, is just a power. Um, but to the best of my ability, shortchanges the process, because I don't have the ability. So this person's sitting down to build a tower, and basically everybody in in this example that Jesus is giving, if you think about it, nobody has the resources to build this tower. Nobody does. I cannot, of my own strength and my own volition and my own just trying hard, do enough to build this tower. What if the point of this parable is that we aren't good for what goes on the top of the foundation. We don't have what it takes. So Jesus kind of leaves that hanging too. He doesn't explain that. He's like, hey, your family, can you really build this tower? No. How? How about a king? <laughs> There's two kings. They're unequally matched. So the king with the smaller army sends a delegation to the other king for peace talks. Does this ever happen? Yes. Okay. What does the king lose, the, the king with the smaller army, what does he lose by doing that? Okay, depends on how much he negotiates. Okay. Well, for our intents and purposes, let's say freedom. Right. What's, what's implied here? So he's, he's going to lose his freedom or independence. He loses faith. Yes, exactly. His honor, um, his status as, I'm here, I'm a king. Okay, I, I, think, I think that is part of this. Um, giving up your rights to negotiate human issues. So if these are two human kings and you have somebody with some power and somebody with more power and it's just the human plane, who's really in charge? God. The other king may not recognize that, but God's the one that's really in charge. And so we make decisions whether they're political decisions or other decisions, on the basis of who's in charge. We don't have to fight this fight. God's in charge. I think there's more going on here, though. Um, 
I think some other things that this king could be losing, so he could, he could lose his independence, he could lose faith. Um, he's kind of giving up the right to decide for himself what's going to happen to his people. He may be giving up his national identity. Um, he may be giving up the respect of his people, never mind all the nations around him, but his own people may not respect him. Um, he may be deposed. He, he may not really have any power after he makes this agreement, this arrangement, these peace talks. How also, here's a question, Jesus says, won't the king sit down and figure out if he's able with his 10,000 to fight the guy with the 20,000? How is he going to know if he's able? The odds are pretty bad. Isn't he, doesn't he just know, I know I can't win? <laughs> okay, he, he does need to put trust in God, but so that's another thing. Keep in mind, Jesus is telling this story to Jewish people. Jewish people have a history, which is largely in the Old Testament. And there's a million stories in the Old Testament about teeny tiny little armies of like 300 people fighting these giant armies that, and winning because God is on their side. This is part of their history. This is part of their framework. Also, right now in this where Jesus is, they are an occupied nation. They are under the authority of Rome. They don't have their own, like this has happened to them already. They don't have their own authority. They don't have their own power. And they're hoping they're going to have a Messiah who is going to fight for them and kick these guys out. So this must have sounded extra weird to them. Why is this Jewish guy, he's one of us, he's just a normal dude, and we th except we think he might be the Messiah, and here he's talking about peace talks with the greater power. Jesus usually sides with the underdog. What in the world is going on here? Okay, these are the questions I was sitting with all week, and... As I sat with them, I think most of you are old enough. Do you remember when the newspaper, when you could actually get a Sunday paper regularly and um, and it was decent, and there were the funnies, and on the back of the funnies there was that magic eye thing in the '90s or whatever, and you like stare at this like nonsense, this like mess looked like TV static, which some of you also don't remember, um, and. And if you stared at it in a certain way long enough, all of a sudden something would start to emerge. I could never do those. But <laughs> I think I can do it with the Bible. Um, that's kind of what happened here. It was, it was like, and we talked about how Jesus turns the world right side up again. That is kind of what was happening, too. I felt like things were like turning upside down or inside out or something. All of a sudden, I thought, what if God is the king with the bigger army? And then I wrote about it on Twitter, like I had this giant epiphany, and somebody was like, well, yeah, duh. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> really stupid, I guess. <laughs> um, but I never thought of this thought before. What if the king that's coming isn't the enemy? Or at least doesn't want to be the enemy? We're thinking 
of like Russia on the border of Ukraine. But that's where, you know, the destruction is intended and happening, regardless of whether peace talks happened or not. But that's not what's happening here. I don't think that's what Jesus is describing because of everything else he said before this. Every single one of us, to use one of last year's terms, think that we have an empire, our own empire. We are in charge of some things. And these constitute our army of 10,000. Our family, that's a main one for most people. Our job, our school, our talents and abilities, our bank account, our tax breaks, or our government assistance, or our free time, or our identity, whether that's American, Baptist, male, female, white, indigenous, straight, gay, married, single, all of those things, our heritage, um, things that we enjoy, food, drink, sex, romance, our honor, our reputation, our independence, our political or religious convictions, all of those things are the things that we think we have some control over. We're, this is our army. Here we are. Oh, great. Here comes that army that's way more resources than we have. It's weird in this parable, Jesus says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? It's not really clear who's starting this war. Because it sounds at first it sounds like the king is about to go to war against this bigger king, but the, that king is already coming against him. Don't really know. Here we are. It's sometimes not really clear when we encounter God if we're coming against him or he's coming against us. But we have... Sorry, all these things and more, whatever we think we have as our personal resources, none of that is enough to come at God. We're not going to win. And people tend to, to decide, I'm either going to fight God my whole life with these resources, I'm going to do it, or I'm going to send a delegation for terms of peace. Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Not everything we don't have, everything we have. Why can't we be his disciples if we don't give up everything we have? Yes. That is why because we still think it's ours. So what if the whole point of this passage is not, what am I able to sacrifice for God? What am I willing to sacrifice for God? Oh, I'm not sure I'm really willing to sacrifice that. That feels really bad. I don't... And if, that's, if that were the message, what am I willing to sacrifice for God? Do I really have what it takes? If we are honest with ourselves, the answer is always going to be no, because there's always something, like our families, that we are not going to want to give up. And when we think in, in those terms, we start to become really legalistic. 
it's basically works righteousness. What can I give up for God? And then if we manage to give it up, wow, are we not so holy? How great I am. I just crashed my, my relationships for God. That's the opposite of what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile. We, it becomes works righteousness. It's how we try to become God's disciple. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to give up everything. There's no grace. It's legalistic. And guess what? We're going to fail every single time. And then we're going to feel bad about ourselves. And then we will hate our lives, but not in the way that Jesus is talking about. The only way to gain our lives and to love our lives and to love our families the way that God wants us to love our families, the way that God loves our families, is to give it all to him in our peace talks. So that's the delegation. Here's God with his big army, and here's me with my little army. I mean, it's an okay army, but uh, it's not standing up to God, and I can fight God with it and hurt myself and hurt the people I love and hurt the resources that God's given me and lose the resources God's given me, or I can send all of those things to the cross for peace talks and say, here, God, you have this stuff. It's yours. I'm yours. Here you go. So what are the peace terms? Well, one of them is verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Oh, yay. <laughs> There's some logic to this. It is, first of all, it is important to know the terms. I think that is the one thing about the interpretation of these I used to understand that is still correct. You should, before you decide to follow Jesus, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to be asked to do or face or how it's going to be, but you do need to realize that it's not going to be just this walk in the park and everything's going to go great forever and ever. Amen. Until the next life, then it will. But um, we, need to, we need to know that. So we need to know that following Jesus as his disciples means carrying a cross. He carried a cross. We're disciples, which means apprentices, which means we're becoming like him, so of course we're going to carry a cross. But here's the thing. Life is going to be hard with or without Jesus. So if we give up everything for Jesus, it means we are acknowledging life is going to be hard. I accept that I am going to have to carry a cross. Maybe I don't know what it is yet. I accept I'm going to have to do it, but I'm accepting it because he's going to carry it with me. I don't have to do it by myself. And he is going to give it, and me, purpose. So that it doesn't become just meaningless chaos, meaningless pain, nothing good happens from it, nothing is transformed. God will use the pain that's in the world to transform us and to transform the world around us if we have accepted him 
and his cross for us. Another of the terms is that we need to send all of our, our whole army, basically, as the delegation. Here you go, God. These are yours. These are your troops now. They're not mine. I'm not in charge. They're yours. But here's the other piece. We actually get our lives back. We actually get our lives back. We actually become who we're supposed to be. Sometimes we try so hard to maintain our own army, to hang on to our resources, our identity, that we actually never get a chance to figure out who we really are. And we're never going to figure out who we really are until we give all that stuff to Jesus and let him tell us. In Matthew, 20, in Matthew 19, verse 29, after a similar conversation, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. A hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Not a hundred times as much in the eternal life. We get our lives here. Jesus is the one who gives us life. God is the one who gives us life. He's the creator. He gave it to us in the first place. He knows who he made us to be. We're not going to find that out until we give up everything for him to show us. So one of the times that I guest preached here before any of us knew that I was going to be your pastor, um, I quoted a song from The Who <laughs> called Bargain. And I'm going to quote part of it again, because it really has a lot to do with this. I did not know at the time, but I've since found out, because Tim looked it up, um, that Pete Townsend, who wrote this, actually wrote it about God. Now, it doesn't sound like he would have had a relationship with Christ the way we would understand it. It doesn't sound like he would have said that he was a Christian or articulated his faith in the same way, but I think you can see that this is really what Jesus is saying right here. He says, I'd gladly lose me to find you. I'd gladly give up all I had to find you. I'd suffer anything and be glad. And then in, the, in another verse he says, to find you I'd surrender my good life for bad. I'd call that a bargain, the best I ever had. And he sings a few verses that sound like this, and then there's this section in the middle that, does, that has a different tune. It's kind of the bridge. And, he sa and it seems really strange. He says, I sit, looking round, I, yeah, I sit looking round. I look at my face in the mirror. I know I'm worth nothing without you. In, one, in life, one and one don't make two. One and one make one. And I'm looking for that free ride to me. I'm looking for you. That sounds really strange because we don't talk about our faith with God in those terms usually. But one and one make one is really what... Jesus talks about in John 17 about us becoming united with God. And I'm looking for that free ride to me is really we find out who we are through Christ. If we exchange everything we have for him, we not only get him, but we find out who we are. Those who lose their lives for me, for my sake, Jesus said, will find them. If we lose our lives for Jesus, we will find them. So what if God is 
to bring these two parables together. What if God is a contractor king? What if the king with infinite resources is coming toward us with his army of resources in hopes that we will see sense? We cannot fight this king. We do not have the resources. And surrender the ones that we do have so he can build a beautiful tower to his specifications instead of ours. It mi- we might not look like the tower we thought we were trying to build. We were trying to build a tower of Babel, but he's trying to build a temple. He's trying to build a place for us and him to be together and for him to be with other people through us. Which is really not hating your family. Only in the sense of turning them over to him so he can do what he wants with you so you can love them better. What if he's making all of us into turrets and steeples and this one big beautiful palace for everybody? He says, in my father's house are many rooms. What if we're the rooms? What if we're already here? What if we don't have to wait until the next life? What if counting the cost means discovering that even with the best family on earth, We don't and never will have what it takes to build the tower or win the war, and that's the whole point. In the same way, Jesus says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Sounds like a bargain, actually. Let's pray. Lord, Sometimes I think we like to turn our brains inside out. (laughs) Um, A lot of the stuff in your word is clear, but then it's clearer, and then it isn't, and then it's more clear. I pray that you will help each one of us to come away with what you want us to know for today, and that with your help, not our own ability, but your help, we will more and more give ourselves and our resources and the people we love to you so that you can build something beautiful with us and that your name can be known and your love can be shown and your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.